Welcome to the Reflect On podcast, where we embark on inspiring conversations filled with truth, vulnerability, and, well, anything else that'll help us learn, grow, and live better lives. I'm your host, Kevin P. Murphy. Thank you so much for embarking on this reflection journey with me today. Now let's get right into it. This episode is with Jim Roach, a multi-passionate entrepreneur who is the CEO of Stratford Consulting Group, ThinkRF, and the chairman of the board for Ballard Power Corporation. But perhaps more important and impressive than Jim's entrepreneurial accolades is his character. He is so dedicated to the concepts of curiosity and fulfillment. And as he explains, these traits are more really a result of nature and nurture, successes and failures, and the learned ability to look inward, especially when times are tough or painful. We converse really deeply on the greatest failures and how they can lead to the greatest lessons, the concept of how traditional retirement can create sometimes a delusion of happiness, and tangible exercises of how bringing death closer can bring life closer to you as well. I think you're really going to like this episode. Thank you very much for spending time with us, and I hope you enjoy it. You know, one of the things I wanted to understand a little bit more about you, Jim, just just to start off is, you know, it's easy to look at the incredible amount of accolades you have and the businesses you've built and been a part of and um, just your path over the last several years. I want to actually challenge you with a question first and ask you, what would you say are some of your biggest failures over the last, you know, two, three decades as you've been on these ventures with life? and with the businesses you've created and helped implement. Thank you for starting that way. <laughs> get the uh, get the negative out in the open at the beginning. Oh, there's so yeah. many. Um, Kevin, geez. Uh, so I, I can't catalog them because there's so many of them. Biggest failures, though. Well, I think the biggest failures for me are probably those times when I have acted in a way that was inconsistent with my values or uh, made a decision that I later look back on and thought that was a self-serving decision Mm -hmm. or a decision that um, was prioritized the short-term benefits over the long-term costs. Those would be the ones, you know, those would be the things that I I would, uh, that I've learned the most from, you know, like, I'll give you a concrete example. I was I was working with a client and I believed that that client had tremendous strengths. That individual had tremendous strengths. He does have tremendous strengths. But I also saw significant weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And I felt that he would he would probably be better served in a different role in the organization. And I told him that. But then uh, I told other people that as well. And that was a mistake. That that was a failure on my part. Not my role to tell other people my judgments and other people that were influential in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's a that, that I shouldn't have done. It was up to him to agree with me or disagree with me. And and if he agreed with me, it was up to him to tell the other people, not me. Mm-hmm. There's lots of I, I I mean I could offer up lots of examples like that where I I made decisions that in retrospect, I realized were wrong decisions. And principally, the biggest one, the biggest failures, the biggest um, feelings of regret that I had were around the ones that were inconsistent with my values. What would you say, just out of curiosity, what would you say those values are and how have they evolved 
and how, when did you notice that, you know, when were those moments where you realized that those inconsistencies were there? Yeah, I can usually feel it in my body. You know, you can, I can feel it in my, yeah. in my heart, so to speak, like where I, mm. I, I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I've done something wrong, even mm. though my mind is telling me I'm doing the right thing. My body is telling me there's something wrong here. And, you know, ask me, what are my values? Um, the, there are quite a few, but one of them is respect uh, to treating people with respect at all times in every way. Um, and, and that extends to how I treat people in their absence. So uh, this is something my mom taught me, uh, actually, which is, wow. you know, when you're talking about people, if you do talk about people and they're not present, talk as if they were. Uh, so, you know, that example that I gave you uh, would be contrary to that advice. Um, actually, it wasn't. That's not quite entirely true because he, when I, when I made those comments, he was in the room with me. So uh, wow. okay. it's a little bit different, but, but it was a bit disrespectful. So it, it was, it, it was not a bit, it was disrespectful. So it was inconsistent with that value. You mentioned another word that I thought was really important. You were reading my mind, so to speak, in the sense of, I, I'm a big believer that failures are really the predecessor of learning. We have to go through this journey of failures in order to understand more about ourselves and, and progress. And, and it's a big misconception out there that, you know, the path to success, however you define it as a person is just filled with, you know, successes along the way, right? What would you say, even recently, if you reflect back on the last five years, even especially staying so competitive in your space in a great way. I mean, just as a, not just necessarily accolades, but as an individual as well, what would you say are some of the biggest lessons you've learned over whether it's failures or successes over the last few years? Well, I am something that comes to my mind is the importance of continued urgency and customer engagement. So the, you know, it's, it's for, for, for me, I'm, my background is in uh, engineering and software design, which is a collaborative activity, but can also have an individual component course. And my, my bias, I think still is to, uh, is towards that individual activity. Whereas business success, I think life success is more often than not determined by your collaborative instincts, how, who you're working with, how you're working with them. It's enhanced by a sense of urgency, of continuous movement forward, wherever forward leads you. Um, even if it's on a circuitous path, a continuous movement forward um, leads to personal and corporate success, greater personal and corporate success. And uh beyond the sense of urgency is that sense of customer engagement. So that is understanding on a, on a granular level, what your customers are looking for um, and why, and ensuring that, you, you know, I'm able to incorporate that into the things that I'm doing and to encourage others that in, in, in my company or in the organizations that I'm involved in to incorporate that. So a wonderful, wonderful response. I mean, even just, and you mentioned on the personal and, and the business side as well. And it's, it's beautiful because I've realized 
I'm a, I'm a big introvert in, in a lot of ways in the sense of I like to have my cave, my space, my work time alone. And, and I still get a lot of value through collaboration with others in terms of friendship, families, things like that. But, you know, I always thought that my path to my journey, whatever it was, whether it was, whether it was with work or with a personal goal of mine had to be done alone because of my natural sort of inclined introvert, I guess, nature. You, you may see a lot of that, this, some of the same with my father as well, but maybe that's where I get some of it from in a, in a great way um, because it leads to more dedication and stuff like that. But it also can lead to arrogance and it can lead to bias and misconception and, and things like that as well. And I wanted to focus, sort of build off what you just mentioned with with Stratford a little bit, because I know that... Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's really one of the uh, one of the companies and, that you really started from the foundation up, the bones up, so to speak, through and through. Obviously, still actively working in that space. So, when you talked about customer engagement, collaboration, how did you like? What problems were you really re- reflecting on back then in 2008 or around that time, even before, to start such a innovative and aggressive in a good way company of that of that mindset well to be to be honest the decision to start stratford was a very selfish decision in this regard i had uh, the opportunity to retire and i i i opted to do so and in retirement i found myself unfulfilled i wasn't happy and so i thought about what? why would I feel that way? I, can, I have the freedom to do whatever I want. I'm not constrained by resources. I'm not constrained really in any way. Why am I unfulfilled? I did quite a lot of work to, to on, with myself, sort of self-development work, to, to try to uncover the things that would bring me fulfillment. And I tried to, to uncover not the activities, but the underlying experiences. So as an example, collaboration is one of the things that I find contributes to my fulfillment. Challenge is another one. Uh, Intellectual stimulation is another one. Um, I identified this list of things and then I asked myself, what's the best way in my life that I can have these experiences, which hopefully will lead to fulfillment. The activities might be very different. So for example, in challenge, I could to you know take up a new sport or or learn a language or whatever or i could do something in the professional realm and so i thought this through and and thought the best thing for me would be that to to experience that fulfillment would be to return to a, a professional role and i thought through what what those roles might be i could go join a company i could i could volunteer i could i could do any number of things but ultimately i decided to start stratford because uh one of the things kevin that i wanted to experience was uh, variety i am a very curious fellow and uh curiosity was one of the things fulfilling curiosity is one of the things that i felt would would contribute to my fulfillment my experience in working with other companies that were very narrowly focused, even when you know narrowly focused is is um, it's a relative term. So, working in a semiconductor company is an example. 
I had the opportunity to learn about the semiconductor industry, which is quite a large and, and fascinating industry. Right. But in the overall scope of the world, it's quite narrow. Uh, so I was interested in doing something that had a broader perspective. And thinking that through, I realized, I, I decided, I shouldn't say realized, I decided to pursue a career in consulting because I felt that uh, it would give me an opportunity to be exposed to different industries, different types of companies, different people. Um, it would provide variety. Uh, collaboration and teamwork are also critically important to me. Connection is important to me. And I judged that if I were consulting with multiple companies, I would, although I would have um, connections with people that are in my client, in the client organizations, they wouldn't be necessarily long lasting, um, nor would I be necessarily part of their team. Because as a consultant, part of the value that I would be bringing would be the, the, the independent viewpoint. Uh, so that's why I decided to turn Stratford into a company rather than an individual consultancy. Uh, and then finally, I, I, I felt the um, challenge uh, and, you know, I wanted obviously wanted to attract people who had a similar viewpoint, similar values to my own, to the company. Um, checking off the challenge box was partly around uh, through growth, um, but that also you know, growth in the organization provides um, opportunity for individual growth for everybody in the company, um, you know, learning experiences, uh, personal development experiences, professional development experiences. But it, it's also not an easy thing to do. It's a challenging thing to do. So it checked that box for me as well. So as I said, it was a, an intensely personal decision. Uh, it was to pursue something that I would find fulfilling. One other thing that uh, I want to highlight about this is that yeah. I wanted to give back in some way. So my career had been very, I had been very lucky in my career. I had experienced success, professional success, and learned quite a bit in the process. And I wanted to, I wanted in particular to do things that benefited others. And and so it was another reason why I chose consulting because it was a way for me to directly contribute to uh, other organizations, other people through my activities and through the activities of of, of our company. Right. And uh, so it was really those two things: how can I be more fulfilled, and how can I contribute to the world around me in a positive way? Well, it's interesting just how you're selfish your quote unquote selfish desire at first just turned in, turned into something that was so self-serving, but at the same time selfless in a way of of active service. And it seems like almost you needed to go on that reflection journey at that time to be able to understand, okay, here's where my priorities really are. Here's where I become fulfilled. Here's where I can create and be stimulated and be of service to myself and to the people around me that I engage with. I, I want to focus a little bit more if, if just out of curiosity on the moments, maybe hard because of how long ago 2008 was now, which is hard to believe, but Seems the, just yesterday to me, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the moments when you were, when you were actually questioning yourself and trying to go down that self-development journey, I don't mind admitting myself that, and and I think it's for a lot of people that it's 
it's challenging to do that. There's a lot of external and internal fears that a lot of us may carry um, when, when trying to do that. And through several different influences, of course, but what motivated you in those moments to just lean in and, and really take a good look at yourself, almost like you maybe never have before in your life? Well, I, uh, I, I really wanted to experience fulfillment. So that mm-hmm. desire for uh, living a better life was a strong motivation, living a better in my measure. Um, that was a significant, a significant motivation. But another one was fear, sort of the, the stick, perhaps, yeah. where uh, fulfillment was the carrot, this, the fear of not having a fulfilling, fulfilling life the the fear of being irrelevant of uh not contributing in a in a significant way mm-hmm. to society to to the communities in which i participate um but i think the biggest one kevin was was the motivation the biggest motivation was uh to, to find a way of fulfill of fulfillment Interestingly, you you kind of, I think I probably could have worded the question better just in regards to your previous response, but you almost answered my curiosity anyways, which was the addressing of fear, right? And and the surrounding nature around we we are inclined to resort, I find at least I am resort to sometimes to the easy, right? I'm resorts to the safe, the safety of and and even with with the people I work with in my role. I think there's this traditional aspect that's still quite entrenched about this idea of retirement and that it, you know, your better life is waiting for you. Um, you know, at this age, age 65 or whatever the government calls or whatever, you know, you determine is, is your, you know, flipping of the switch, so to speak, is that your better life is waiting, right? But it's incredibly interesting seeing people along that journey how much it's mirrored to the one you have in the sense that they get to that point and they've been building up for it their whole lives. And then they realize, okay, I'm not very fulfilled anymore. Or my health isn't, is actually going by the wayside as an example, because I'm not either fulfilled or as active or as stimulated in in general. And, and it seems like you just have this foundational hunger of, of wanting to be of service to yourself and others basically that is almost never going to go away in a fantastic way. Um, was that, that, that desire for fulfillment and, and that itching, so to speak, feeling or the carrot and the stick, as you describe it, do you think that's something that you just had all along or is that something you learned through, you know, your earlier years in life and, are continuously developing it or how would you answer that? No, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've been an entrepreneur from a very young age or mm-hmm. at least had demonstrated entrepreneurial behaviors from a very young age. So mm-hmm. maybe there's a component of that, which is sort of baked into my DNA in some way, but I I'm also, as I said, very curious and uh, continually striving to learn from uh, from my experiences, from others, from books, magazines, podcasts, etc. So, I like so many nature versus nurture questions. I would say it's a combination of the two. But I, I want to come back to something you you just said, which is about retirement. I'm I'm I do have strong views about that. Uh, our our lives are relatively short. You know, we we um, 
will be lucky to live to 100 years. You can take 100 years and map them out. It's not a lot of time. There seems to be in our society a belief that we work in order to, as you said, in order to enjoy life, in order to have the resources to be able to enjoy life. I think that is um, a, I think that is a negative way to think about work. Um, I, I personally work because uh, it provides me an enjoyment of life. Not every, and I, I don't want to suggest that work is in itself a complete activity. Of course. You know, it, it, it is, although uh, has the opportunity to be deeply fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And I, I have, there have been times in my life when the work that I've been doing has not been as fulfilling as I want it to be. And I've been lucky to be able to make changes to, what I'm doing such that my fulfillment increases. We talked about that earlier. And I do recognize that not everybody has that flexibility. However, I, I would argue that the attitude that I bring to what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis does have a profound impact on my experience. And, you know, going back to your question, you just asked me, did I learn that or is that innate? That's definitely a learned thing. And I think Though my my experience, whether I'm retired or not, is going to be very closely linked to my attitude uh, and my sense of self-determination, whether I have whether I'm in choice or whether I'm doing something out of an obligation or a requirement. Um, and that in itself is also uh, a choice. If I if I feel that I'm doing something because I'm I have to, then I'm not a choice. That feeling is a choice. Um, now you could argue that no, it's it's entirely determined by externalities to to my to my experience. But you know those externalities, yes, those externalities will provide greater or lesser flexibility to me. But how I how I feel about those externalities, that's a choice. That's the point I'm trying yeah. to make. So getting back to the question of retirement. Um, you know, yeah, retirement gives us greater time flexibility because we don't have commitments. We don't have as many commitments in retirement as we would have when, you know, when active in our professional lives, because our professional lives kind of by definition require us to make those time commitments. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that our use of the time is going to be more fulfilling. And we still get 24 hours a day, whether we're working or not working 24 hours. So you know, you could say, well, in retirement, I'm going to bike more, I'm going to golf more, I'm going to travel more, I'm going to read more, I'm going to listen to more music, and therefore I'll be more fulfilled. No, that that could be, because those all, all of those activities have the potential of providing fulfillment to to you, to me. They certainly provide fulfillment to me. But what when you look at each of those fulfillments, like we were talking about those activities, like we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. it's not the activity itself which is fulfilling. In other words, golfing doesn't itself provide fulfillment. There are there are um, aspects of golf underlying the activity, which I find fulfilling. So as an example, I golf with three colleagues, typically or three friends, even if they're strangers, there's a conversation that occurs. And I find that connection fulfilling. I love being in nature. Wow. I love the challenge of hitting a good golf swing shot if I can. Uh, I, so those aspects, uh, are what provide the fulfillment of golf. Break it down and look, ask yourself the question, could I have those experiences while working? And the answer is probably many of them. Certainly, 
the experience, uh, the social experience definitely can have that while working. The challenge of hitting a good golf shot, absolutely. Work can be very challenging for, no matter what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. Being in nature, oh, wait a second, that's going to be hard to, to do if I'm behind a desk. That's correct. So again, I'm not saying that work in and of itself will provide all of the elements of our life to give us fulfillment. So being in nature is important to me. I've got to find ways to be in nature outside of work. The point I'm trying to make all here is that our activities don't necessarily have to be done outside of work in order to bring us fulfillment. They, the, the activities in work can also bring us fulfillment. How I think about it, how I structure my work, and how I blend work and my non-work at life will lead to whether I'm fulfilled or not fulfilled. But I, I think there, you're, you're kind of rambling on a bit here, but you're, Kevin, you made the point that our society tends to think that our best life will be lived after retirement. I, I completely reject that notion, 100% reject that notion. We, it may or may not be, but it's not due to retirement. It's going to be due to how we choose to spend our time and the attitudes that we bring in to our lives in uh, spending that time in using those minutes and days that we have. Oh, so beautifully said. I mean, it, and it's even on that last point you made, it's, it's not even one of the biggest things I've learned even as of recently too, is that it's not even, we have a guarantee of that future life, just like you said of how short it is. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's often thought of as a cliche and I don't know if we say that word cliche as an avoidance strategy or whatever it might be sometimes. And, in popular society but i totally agree that life is short right and 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 moreover it's uncertain yes. our span of life um and what i love that you also responded there was the you know a couple key words that stuck out to me but one of them was choice as well right for example i think i've learned and read and it's helped me in my perception sometimes to not think of work as the word work, but even thinking of changing the vocabulary sometimes in your own, in your own psyche to a craft, right? Just hearing the word craft sometimes to me thinks, okay, this is my opportunity to be creative. This is my opportunity to collaborate. This is my opportunity to be motivated and be of service in, in, in what I'm trying to accomplish, right? And spending most of my time. I mean, typically we do spend, you know, a third of our day every time and and we we don't get that time back but it's how we choose to feel about it i feel like sometimes right and yeah. um it's it's interesting because you mentioned also that something that learned is learned as well that that perception that choice and how you feel about things i totally agree i'm definitely on that learning journey myself and and it it's easy to resort back to what society I sometimes like defaults us to and what we've been cultured into a lot. I find if it's for the example of work, that stereotype of like we talked about working until and seeing it as work and not a craft and seeing it as just a externality for something like wealth, uh, financial wealth or, or, or money or, or a reason to live. But it, in fact, you know, I have a lot of examples of even people I work with where they've worked, they see it as work their whole lives, and then they only get less than a year even before their life ends after they, mm -hmm. they do that, right? And, you know, I, I, I want to, one of my aspirations is to try and go and, and, and I'm lucky because I do get to sometimes converse with people like that. And, 
you know, they it's it's moments like those when they wait until and I was just talking about this actually with someone yesterday, they wait until those moments of tragedy or those those if you if your lifespan was almost a, uh, you know, a, a line on a graph and the volatile moments of tragedy or defining moments as we see them sometimes it's until those moments we sometimes wait to say, OK, now I'm going to be filled with regret. Now I'm going to choose to value life for what it is. Right. And I think one of the biggest things that comes to is, is the relationship that we have with our lifespan and death, right? Understanding that, okay, it's inevitable, but to your point, time is not, it's a non-renewable resource, unrenewable resource that we have that, you know, is something that we, we really don't, we don't get back and we have a choice of how we spend it as cliche as that sometimes sounds, right? I think I think what you're saying is is actually quite profound. I don't think it's cliche. I I do think in in our society we we misconstrue time and choice, and I think that's the key point that you're making here. I I one thing I I often think about is given the uh, fact that we may die at any moment, we don't know. We really don't know. Um, what I'm doing now, maybe the last time I'm doing it. That's actually a great thought experiment. So let's imagine a game of golf. You might have the opportunity to go out and play a game of golf. That may be the last game of golf I'll ever play. Everything wow. that we do in our lives will come to an end. Everything. Mm -hmm. This cup of coffee that I'm drinking may be the last cup of coffee I, I may ever have. I, I I don't mean to be defeatist or or morbid in in suggesting this thought experiment. But when I pause and think about that possibility, it tends to enhance the experience for me. I tend to get extract more joy, more fulfillment from the experience. Yeah. It's like, I'm really enjoying this cup of coffee. This could be my last cup of coffee. And as a consequence, I'm going to enjoy it more. It's a beautiful, beautiful way. I never, it almost parallels, not exactly, but it's actually a conversation I had with my father Oh, I want to say inside a year, I would I would say. And and one of the conversations we've had, they've been incredibly more profound over the last several years. But one of them I realized was, and it parallels a lot to this, was that if we're lucky, if we're lucky, which you know has its own set of judgments and definitions, but if we actually counted that I see you maybe four times a year four real experiences a year and if you're here for another 20 years of your life that means i have less than 80 if we're lucky 80 times 80 experiences that i get with you so how do we make sure that when we are in those moments and entering those moments and reflecting back on those moments after they happen how do we make sure that they are the most fulfilling throughout that entire process right because Exactly. As you said, all things come to an end. I think for me, even recently, I've, I've been afraid of that notion, much like I think a lot of us have. I think that's maybe what society's dis, you know, lack of being able to dispel the myth around death and things like that is that we, we sometimes just only look at it when it happens or when it's close to us or when it's starting to surround us, whether it's personal or in our immediate circle of family, friends or whatever. Right. But 
perhaps understanding that ahead of time is actually like you said and have leaned on is is the motivate is is what breeds the motivation to actually live the most fulfilling life you can does that make sense yeah i think it does it does it's uh you know i i'm you asked me about my values um one of one of my more of a philosophy and a value is a philosophy of generosity um and in that it is approaching life under the assumption that there is an abundance uh a philosophy of abundance mm -hmm. um not to say that there is in fact enough for everybody or that everybody has abundance and is experiencing abundance it's a philosophy it's how you think about it as right. opposed to the fact of it so you know, taking that into the world and thinking about death, it, it can be a, a little bit of, a, there can be some tension because there isn't an abundance of time there. there it, it, with some way of thinking, you could say, no, there's going to come an end. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a hundred years left in my life for sure. Um, but on, on the flip side, approaching each day and thinking about that day uh, from a perspective of abundance and generosity will probably cause me to have a better experience of life, to live a better life from my perspective than if I approach it from a philosophy of scarcity or a position of scarcity. So I think coming back to your question about society and how we think about death, I, I think you're right. We tend to do everything we can to, well, I shouldn't say everything we can. We, we tend to this society to shirk the thought of death, to avoid it, to assume that our our current trajectory, what we're experiencing today is what we'll experience tomorrow and beyond, even if it's an unconscious assumption, and to sort of move away or turn away from messages or ideas that suggest otherwise. I actually think, though, that embracing death and the certainty of death can enhance our lives. Of course, it can also detract from our lives if we're just sitting there, you know, fearing death and, uh, you know, avoiding, uh, avoiding taking risk as an example. Uh, um, but I do believe that our society has a tendency to cause us not to look at this and that that can detract from our quality of life. Yeah, really, really well said. And I want to focus, you know, I'm curious when the concept of time that even we've talked about in this conversation is, I think you of a lot of people and, you know, not in, not in a direct comparison, that's not always healthy. But what I mean is that knowing what I know about you, which I, of course, want to know more and more, but is that you out of a lot of people, I would think, Jim, would come to mind as someone who doesn't have a lot of time right who who sees who and it, it's interesting off the heels of your comment on abundance and things like that as well versus detraction but a, apart from the apart from the concept of thought and the aspirations to understand how valuable time is and how limited it might be how have you learned to manage your time with all the busyness and chaos that you have in your life yeah, um, an interesting question. So first is to recognize that I have the same amount of time as everybody else. I, I don't have 
less time or more time and we all get the same amount of time so i know it sometimes feels that i have no time but in reality we all have exactly the same amount of time so when i say i don't have time what it really means is i've chosen to spend my time in other ways i've made choices so that's all of my time management learnings start from that to that it's about choice it's about how i choose to spend my time both small choices like uh, what i'm going to do in five minutes and big choices the commitments that i've made in my life buying a house or taking a job or whatever um but then getting more granular uh i've over the years developed a fairly sophisticated set of tools that work for me and i've evolved those tools and the way that i use those tools in order to maximize my efficiency at the things that i do so i i, I give you a, a quick example Please. um i don't try to remember what i'm going to be doing day to day minute to minute i don't i put it all in the calendar and I rely entirely on the calendar. Now, that's not unique. Lots of people do that. But there was a period where I tried to remember, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to go and do this now at 10 o'clock or whatever. And, and I realized that I was um, miss, occasionally missing opportunities or uh, that I was expending effort to remember. So it's a very simple thing use the calendar 100% rely on my calendar and so what that means is that i need to build a discipline of ensuring that the calendar is accurate my, accurate to my activities and to my forecasting uh, mm -hmm. of time use i also need to build a discipline of reviewing the calendar and reviewing my list of commitments against the calendar so that requires that i have a list of commitments that i'm clear about the commitments that i've made that and i make a lot of commitments mm -hmm. small and big so that requires that I manage that list of commitments very carefully. Uh, so, at, you know, one of the things that, as an example, one of the things I learned is don't make a commitment and then try to remember it. I uh, always write it down somewhere, put it into the system, and I've got a method of periodically reviewing the list of commitments that I've made um, to myself or to others and prioritizing them, mapping them against the calendar, and knocking them off to the extent that I that I'm able to do so. So, um, you know, I, I use tools for this stuff uh, that are, you know, there's lots of tools out there. I don't think my tools are particularly special, but the the, the methodologies, the discipline, uh, and the commitment to maintaining the discipline every day, every week, every month, every year, every quarter, every year. Um, that. That I think is probably the most important aspect of for me of of maintaining my efficiency and and that efficiency allows me to make the reason I do this is because it allows me to make more commitments. I can do more things. And I find that fulfilling. Now, I want to point out that my sense of fulfillment, what what I find fulfilling isn't necessarily what someone else is going to find fulfilling. We all have different things that that, you know, uh, bring us fulfillment. Um, I like being busy. I like that sense of excitement that it brings. Not everybody does, and I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying for me, it's something that I enjoy. And so I need to, in order to experience that in this way, I need to have these systems in place. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's 
it's as important as the tools are. It's the ex execution and reflection on on those acts and how and being able to adapt and mold and and understand what's working and what's not right that introspection um really really powerful i've just in the interest of time speaking of that i have a couple final questions for you sure um i want this to be a timeline based question so in order for you to reflect back and in the future but yeah. i want to start on the past first so if it were mid 2000s before Stratford started one of the key reflection moments in your life it seems like if you could be next to that person that younger Jim what would you be telling him right now while he's going through that experience of reflection nothing nothing interesting I would say nothing I would I would just my you know I have learned obviously about myself and about the world more in the intervening 15 years. But my fear would be that if I try to inject that learning into the younger me, I would end up on a different path with an outcome that might be better or might be worse, mm. but also that I would detract from my own experience on that path. And so. Yeah, I could probably say, hey, Jim, you know, in, in two years time, this is going to happen. And so if you want to avoid that pain, take do this, and you'll avoid that pain or invest heavily in Apple, and you'll have even more wealth, uh, you know, in, in 15 years. But that pain that I would be avoiding is actually part of my experience. I'm not saying I'm a masochist, and I want to experience pain. But in the absence of pain, might I not, might I fail to experience the growth that comes after it or that comes during it? So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think, Kevin, my answer would be nothing. I, I would be afraid that I would be detracting from my, my experiences. That's beautiful. Uncommon answer to that question when I usually ask it, but nonetheless, beautiful. And we shift the timeline past the present to the future. So if you're having a conversation 10 years from now with yourself, what do you think your 10-year self would really be hoping to tell you? Yeah, I mean, hopefully hopefully, I'd have the same answer but mm -hmm. uh, as the one I just gave you. But um, my 10-year self, 10 years from now. Yeah, I... The, the only, you know, the thought that comes into my mind is is one that I, I don't need my 10-year self to tell me, which is there are aspects to what we do today that will have a profound impact on our experience 10 years from now if we live that long. Exercise, eat well, sleep well, build strong relationships, contribute to the society in which we find ourselves, build ties to our community. And those things don't happen because we decided on Tuesday to suddenly wake up and get fit, right? It, they happen because we make these small decisions every day mm -hmm. um, or big decisions every day. But I don't think that I would be telling my, you know, I think I'd be telling either way uh, anything new. Plus, yeah. You know, going back to your earlier question about, you know, my my wiser self or more knowledgeable self going back and telling my younger self, you know, I eat better. 
Like, I, I don't think I listen to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's another reason not to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. There's a couple of final questions. One, this one, I, I self-entitled the wisdom bites. So I want you to imagine for a moment, try to fathom all of the wisdom that you've accumulated in your years of life. And hypothetical question, of course, but you think of that collection and whether it's a filing cabinet or a library or just the capacity of the human brain, if you could actually understand its realm. But going forward, you only had had the opportunity to live by three pieces of wisdom. Three statements, three motivations, three mantras, whatever they are. What would your wit three wisdom bites be, Jim? Hmm. Fulfillment is intimately related to relationships. It's about people. Focus on people. That would be the first wisdom bite. The next one is um, live in the moment. You, it's about, it really is about the journey, not the destination. And the third one would probably be while living in the moment, and strengthening those relationships, investing in those relationships, the first two wisdom bites, make the small decisions today that could result in big outcomes tomorrow. Like take care of yourself physically, put a little bit of money aside every day if you can, live in the moment, but don't ignore the future. It's beautiful, it's fantastic. So final question, before I ask it, I want to just acknowledge you, Jim. It, you know, you have a ton of accolades that would fill pages and pages and pages of a resume. And I think a lot of that is, to me, it's more about your character than anything as a human being. The accolades, the trophies and things like that, they are a result of who you are as a person and how you give back to someone like me who's just trying to learn more about myself and and others as well. So I really oh, want to thank, thank you. you and acknowledge you for that. It's 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 a powerful thing because you have an excuse almost if you want to use that strong of a word to be busy. And yet you've found such a fine way to con continue to be disciplined throughout decades of your life, but also go deeper into that self-reflection journey like we talked about and continue to do that. So so really acknowledge you for that. And my final question is, how can I support you going forward? In this way. Beautiful. Thank you very much for spending time with me on the Reflect On podcast today. If you found this episode enjoyable or inspiring, please share it with those who it may help and leave a positive review so that we can grow together. Until next time, reflect onward and keep moving forward.